Okay. Right. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Mythgard Movie Club. Um, I'm Maggie Park, uh, director of Mythgard and pretty much all around geek. And I like to chat film with folks. And I'm joined today by Gabriel Shank and Stephen Massey, who will introduce themselves in a moment. Um, and we'll shortly be joined by uh, my partner, Alistair McLean, as well. And we are discussing the Batman um, 2021 film. So met by Matt Reeves. We'll go through that in a minute, but I want to just introduce the people in the room. So Gabriel, let's start with you because you are the one that said, hey, Maggie, I think we should talk about this. So yeah, well, I've been looking forward to this film since it was announced, uh, following everything um, since 2019, I think is when they started releasing some stuff. Um, I'm my name is Gabriel. I uh, teach at Sigma University, mainly on the master's degree program. Uh, in literature and language and I've been a Batman fan since really the Christopher Nolan film so I'm quite recent uh, actually I grew up with the Tim uh, it wasn't Tim Burton was it It was the Joel Schumacher by the time I was a, a kid <laughs> um, sort of Batman takes and um, uh, um, what's his face um, uh not Val Kilmer, the one after that, the uh, um, George Clooney. Clooney. Yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of grew up with Batman being a bit silly. I actually remember watching the um, Adam West Batman, which I quite liked as a, as a kid on TV. Uh, it's very charming. But when I saw Batman Begins, it was I was kind of blown away by that, which was the, the first Christopher Nolan, uh, Christian Bale Batman. Uh, I did not realize that Batman could be this good. And then, of course, I read as many comics as I could get my hands on, yet to read a bad Batman comic. Uh, I played all the Arkham games, which I love, went back and watched all the movies I could, um, did, you know, extra work like reading um, things like The Long Halloween and Hush um, and The Killing Joke and stuff like that, kind of the classics of the genre. And uh, I heard that maybe the killing uh, sorry the long halloween would be an influence on the batman so kind of did some homework to prep for that so i, I love batman i love i love all that stuff and um uh, excited to talk about the film yay thank you gabriel steven how about you uh hi everyone my name is steven massey and uh i've been a batman fan my whole life uh growing up in hammond indiana when i was old enough to finally get an allowance uh, I would sneak, I would say I was going to an ice cream store, but I would actually sneak around the corner to the comic book shop and I would just buy Batman comics. And um, Batman's been my favorite superhero as long as I can remember. Um, I came into, uh, came into the Batman film world through uh, Tim Burton's 89 film, which uh, is amazing, uh, especially the score. Danny Elfman's score really drew me into the film. Um, and actually, I think I've had to buy that album three times um i enjoy it so much uh yeah i uh i have a uh bachelor's of student ministry from ozark christian college and uh my appreciation for batman and all things nerd have really helped me uh connect with students and um i'm excited to be here today uh not just to talk about why i really like this film and why i like batman in general but i'm i'm ready to learn something new uh, I know someone is going to have a, a fresh new take or a new perspective, and uh, and I'm just really anxious to to hear this and then go back after we're done and rewatch the movie again. I'm I'm ready. I'm genuinely excited about this conversation. I am with all of our movie clubs, but like I'm like you guys. This has been part of my family 
in my movie family and and my growth as a film person for a long time, even if just quietly in the background. So I don't have the same in-depth knowledge as these two, but my brother was obsessed and he was six years older than me. So of course I idolized him when I was little. So therefore I idolized Batman and he collected everything you could possibly get your hands on for Batman. So we just had Batman crap all over the house (laughs) and he still has a box of Batman cereal from like 1989. Uh, unopened. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's real fresh. Um, so I also started with the the Michael Keaton Batmans um, and certainly enjoyed those. Was definitely at like peak teenage girl um, with the Val Kilmer Batman Forever and things like that. So like that that hit right. I mean, Kiss Upon a Rose was like my anthem. Um, so definitely hit that ilk. But with like you, Gabriel, it was very much when Christopher Nolan's films came out that I was like, oh, this is how we can tell this story. Um, that really changed my perspective on how to engage with this character and took it out from being something that was a, not cliche, because I think that has really negative connotations on it, but it is a really uh, expected superhero film and turned it into this darker drama with a hero that we thought we knew, but told in such a different way. Um, Absolutely love the Christopher Nolan one. And that also like taught me a lot about film and how to tell a story visually and things like that. So I really respect those films my own personal growth, but also like what they did for the genre and how many people got on board because of that and stuff. But it's also been fun to see the stuff after that, you know, like um, Justice League and Birds of Prey and Batman versus Superman and all these other kind of reiterations we've had. So we'll talk a little bit about the journey of Batman and how this one fits in. Um, But I'll just give a tiny bit of background first um, about the Batman. Let me share my screen so we've got a a picture up. So I'm just going to give the like, what is this film? And then we'll all just start talking about it. And and just on the point of hearing other people's opinions, I agree with you, Stephen. Um, It'd be great to hear people in the room, live in the Zoom room. Um, Mm -hmm. If you've got any questions or comments, uh, use the chat uh, function i think which i think you can do i don't think there's a question function but use the chat um and people on youtube uh if you leave a comment tell us what you thought of the film i'd love to read those as well uh whether Even you agree no, with us or disagree we do read them so more than happy to respond to those as they come up all right the problem is if i share my screen now i can't look at my notes so you guys can help me fill in fill in the details here but um the Batman, uh, directed by Matt Reeves, um, written as well by, uh, with his writing partner, Peter Craig. Matt Reeves, most known for Planet of the Apes, I would say. Um, I think before that, see, this is what happens when I don't have my notes in front of me. It would be the, the kind of cult horror film that he did. Let Me In? No, that one was amazing. Okay, Let Me In was a whole thing, though, because like Let the Right One In blew my absolute mind. And then Let Me In... I enjoyed, but I think I had already been smitten by the original. So the remake I found a little bit more horrific and, and difficult. Cloverfield is what I'm thinking. Sorry. Mm. Cloverfield is what I was thinking of. Um, Let Me In uh, is kind of an indie-esque vampire film. So it has the same kind of, um, I don't know, enigmatic kind of lead that you don't quite know the story that's going on. So I feel like a lot of the, the, the techniques that he used in Let Me In you can see throughout his subsequent films, definitely in Cloverfield, um, wearing lead, hiding the monster and all of that. And then moving into Planet of the Apes, which I feel like is kind of like against type from what he was doing, but leads really well into the bigger Hollywood flicks. Um, And then moving into the Batman. Either of you have comments about uh, just his journey as a director? 
Yeah, I've never seen any of his other work, actually. Uh, I know, you know, he's very famous for the um, Planet of the Apes um, stuff. Um, but I was really impressed by him. And I re was really impressed by the way he engaged with the fans as well, uh, all the way through the development of the Batman. Also uniquely with him, he was the um, director behind Felicity, that like 1990s TV show um, with, I forget her name too, lead actress in that. But it was on for you know eight years, massively popular. Um, and he did that with J.J. Abrams. I didn't realize that was J.J. Abrams. So very surprising for that path. Um, and he wrote with Peter Craig, who's known for The Town. He wrote Mockingjay 1 and 2, which is the final installment of the Hunger Games series. Um, he was the writer behind a couple of reboots, including Top Gun and Bad Boys for Life. Um, so interesting to see this kind of established character, these guys taking on this mantle of carrying on the story excuse me, um, and moving it forward with Warner Brothers. Now, there's a lot of stuff before this happened. If you, you know, go to the Wikipedia page and Google it and things like that, you'll see that it was originally in development with Ben Affleck and bounced around a whole bunch and lots of different writers. This is not that film. I mean, I guess you could say it started as that film, but at any given time in the industry, there's probably about 37 different versions of a Batman film being developed. <laughs> um, so this is not the exact one that started with a Ben Affleck. This is kind of a reiteration of it. Um, so this is with Warner Brothers because they own DC, obviously. Um, the budget of the film, I just find budget really interesting. If anybody wants me to geek out and talk about that, I'm happy to. But in general, this is on the higher end of budgets with 185 to 200 million range somewhere in there. Huge box office, especially for a post-pandemic film where we're not quite up to speed with a fully um, filled cinema stage. Uh, we've got 770 million in the worldwide intake, which is a very high number. Most films that are considered blockbusters would be between the three and 400 range. So it did just fine in the worldwide. And then filming locations, I just find these really interesting, especially upon rewatching it to see if I could pick anything out. Most of it's in London. Um, there are a few bits in Liverpool. There's an abandoned hospital that's used in Scotland. And then some of the exteriors, they have used gorgeous CGI. Um, and have stitched things together between Chicago, um, New York, uh, I think they said Pittsburgh and also London. So they have built a city that looks very much like a New York, but it has architecture from a number of different places to kind of give it that realistic, but also kind of fantastic feel. Um, Industrial Light and Magic was the special effects house behind it, um, who you'll know from Star Wars and many other things after that. And then Stephen, I think I'm going to turn to you for music because I know this is your your geekery element. Um, Michael, I don't know how to say his last name either. Giacchino? I think it's Giacchino, I think. Giacchino? Um, he's got a pretty good record as well. I just wrote on a few of them, but the breadth of his work I thought was really interesting. Um, Speed Racer was the first one I clocked on to because Speed yes! Racer was the first film so I geeked out about music with. I love yes. Speed Racer. And that's another comic book adaptation um, based on a, a comic from the 70s, question mark? Um, but lots of CG in the early days of, of full CG films. And I really enjoyed Speed Racer. So it was fun to see his name on that. He also did the music for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is how I assume he knows Matt Reeves. Um, he did the music for Rogue One, which is like when I need background music to just like work to, I put on the Rogue One soundtrack. It's just stunning. Um, he also did Spider-Man No Way Home, which is a more recent one. Um, critical reception for the Batman, uh, it ran the gamut. When you look at reviews, some people rank them in the 20 to 25 range and others rank a full 100 points. So 
all that does is tell me I really do not rate reviewers. <laughs> this is my personal thing, but I struggle with reviews. Um, I think you need to figure out how you feel about the film and a review can inform how you feel about a film, but don't read a review to find out if the film is good because it runs the gamut. Um, but the ones that I think are uh, helpful are uh, Metacritic, which is averaging of all the critical reviews and it has a 77% on Metacritic. And then another obviously famous reviewer site is Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomatoes gives it 85% for audience reaction and 87% for critics reaction. Those are very high numbers. Um, and as we talk, you'll see that I was very surprised by those numbers because I didn't quite feel as strongly that it was that high. But what I would like us to chat about is how this fits into the world of Batman. Um, this is just from a YouTuber, but I thought it was a pretty great infographic. We've had a lot of Batmans over time. Um, so I, I thought maybe we could just talk a little bit about how this Batman fits into the world of Batman. But also I just like kind of got, rea maybe before that, let's just do gut reactions of how you guys felt about this film. Like, do you think we can manage a one to two sentence reviewing thoughts? I can try. I can try. I mean, I, I had- Just call it like the, 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 the headline of your okay. review. And then the rest big... of this episode will be- Okay. I had a big grin on my face when I, all the way through this film, when I watched in the cinema, even though it's not a film with a lot of jokes, um, it's about a lot of awful murders, but I still had a massive grin on my face all the way through. I, I just loved it. I thought this was the Batman film for me. Ooh, okay. How about you, Steven? Um, I am very pleased to see a Batman film that highlights uh, his mental prowess and his ability to work very well with uh, Sergeant I think it's Lieutenant Gordon. Um, overall, I am very pleased with what we have on the screen. Very happy. Cool. And I mean, immediately, I really enjoyed it visually. I loved this. And as a soundtrack, I loved it. So like in terms of like compilation, composition of a film, I loved it. Um, really beautiful. It felt like a film noir. You know, it had that kind of tone to it and, and the depth to it. I had some real problems with the structure and the pacing and the script and the performance and a few other things that we'll get into, but I would say I would probably fall above 50%, but way below 88%. So what'd you love? What'd you hate? Let's just dive in, pick a thing that you want to discuss first and we'll just run into it. I'll also just give like a tiny bit of background while you guys think about what you want to jump in with first, but like, how this fits into the world of Batman, I thought was interesting. And he's he's only been doing the Batman thing for two years at this point in his life. So obviously he had tragedy when he was a child, lost his parents, but he's only been Batman for two years. Um, and I also thought that was interesting with the title, The Batman, because he's not yet Batman. He's not known as Batman. He's known as the Batman, you know, like, oh, the, you know, that Batman. Mm -hmm. And I thought yeah. that was a pretty interesting thing to yeah, say he's not it, quite it, there yet. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, he's called Vengeance a lot, like as a nickname throughout the film. Like people often refer to him as Vengeance, but then he Alfred is, is Vengeance. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's a comic book reference as well. Um, but Alfred, you know, refers to him as the Batman, and and it's it's an idea, it's right? You know, I mean, at, at the end when he thinks that the Riddler knows who he is and 
by the way, at this point, we should say we are going to be discussing spoilers. Oh, spoilers. Um, yeah, you guys, yeah. we've had months to watch this. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, he says, maybe the, maybe this is the end of what? Of the Batman. You know, it's like a kind of, it's a, it's like a project, the Batman project. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I, I just was responding just to what you were saying, but but to expand on what we loved about it, I mean, I agree, Stephen, the cerebral nature of Batman. Uh, finally, we're seeing Batman as detective, not just in a few scenes like we did with the Christopher Nolan films, mm-hmm. but actually integral to the plot. Like this is a hard-boiled film noir detective story about solving murder murders. Um, this was the rumor that uh, Ben Affleck was going to do uh, for his standalone Batman film, which was also rumored to be called The Batman um you know following the convention at the moment of like the suicide squad uh just stick a the in in front of it um but it was great to see that detective side which i don't think we've actually really seen on screen up until now i'm going to interrupt real quick we've just been joined by alistair mcclain's my partner (laughs) do you want to introduce yourself and say how you got into batman oh um i'm alistair mcclain i'm a teacher by trade um Batman, my introduction to Batman is um, 60s TV series, then probably animated series. Then I saw Batman Returns first in the cinema, and then it was VHS then. Um, I didn't actually see the first Nolan one in the cinema, but I saw the subsequent ones. And I didn't see this cinema because we couldn't see it because we were in lockdown. So there we go, yeah. So I watched it, I think, two and a half times now. Would you call yourself a connoisseur? Um, I have opinions. There we go. I've laid that groundwork. <laughs> Excellent. Oof. Right. All right, Stephen, what do you think about this in terms of where the Batman is at this point in his life? So uh, I, I enjoyed sort of like getting to hear his inner monologue that felt very much like a comic book to me when you uh, open up you know, Detective Comics or Batman or Legends of the Dark Knight, you usually will have a monologue pretty early into the book. And so it was nice to make that comic book connection uh, with his internal monologue. And even the fact that he was keeping a journal, I thought was, was kind of a, a cool touch. Um, he's been doing it for two years. He says he hasn't really seen uh, any, he doesn't feel like he's making any progress. Um, so his solution then is to just be more of a vengeful Batman. And like, he's got a one track mind and he's, he says in the movie, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to do it. And it's a very determined character. Um, so he's got some experience under his belt, but man, he's got, a long way to go before he can become truly effective. And I guess that's one of the points that I got frustrated with it. And I guess, I mean, the excuse is that he's young, maybe that he's, he's new to this, but you see determined and I see, I don't know, lame, like surely there's something else to do here. You have a Mm -hmm. lot of money. Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of like an emo Batman. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, and he's pretty sloppy, which I love. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that w- when he goes into the nightclub and he gets beaten up 
uh, when he when he you know the parachute deploys at the wrong moment and he, yeah. he gets beaten you know um, dusted up in on it, it, it's such a nasty fall which would probably kill him in real life um, but anyway <laughs> I, I, yeah I mean he it, year two is interesting it hasn't been done as much as year one Batman Begins kind of did year one and there's a very famous comic uh, series graphic novel called Batman Year One which is quite um, similar to Batman Begins. Uh, year two is is a quite a good time to join i think a because then we don't have to see thomas and martha wayne getting killed again we don't have to explain who the batman is um b we don't have to see him making his suit or whatever so we're kind of joining at a more interesting moment i think this is the story of how the batman really becomes you know he 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 develops from just a symbol of fear to a symbol of hope fear to his enemies hope to uh, the people he's trying to help and so that's a, a really kind of engaging storyline that we wouldn't get with a year one story um this is you know he's already the batman but he's working out what does that mean and developing his skills he's still very skilled i mean i i, I you know everyone's always worried whenever a new batman becomes batman uh because you know i love ben affleck and i loved the way that Ben Affleck was the kind of Frank Miller version of Batman and and very much sort of following the visual cues from the Frank Miller Dark Knight series. And Robert Pattinson, or to give him his proper title, Rob Bat, Pat and Pat, um, to follow the conventional Batfleck, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, did seem a little bit scrawny when he was first cast. And I remember staying up late at night for DC Fandom 2020, when Matt Reeves revealed the first trailer, even though they'd only filmed about a third of the film by that point, they'd had to shut down because of COVID. And they released this incredible trailer. And there's a bit in that when Batman beats the crap out of some thugs. And I was just cheering. I love this stuff. I lo- you know, it's every geek's dream, isn't it? You know, beating up the bullies. And he beats the crap out of these thugs and says, I'm vengeance. And I just thought, yes, that's Batman. He's there. So it is a sloppy Batman. It's an emo Batman. It's a grow up, spend your money on something that actually helps people, Batman. But it is Batman, and he's working stuff out. And it's going to be fascinating to see where this Batman goes in future films. I hope we get sequels. It's nice to hear your selling of it, because you were dubious, and then and then gave in and said, yep, this is Batman. I also really like the humanizing elements that they did with him. You know, there's there's this bit in the top image where the opening shot is on his back and covered in scars and yeah. scar tissue and things like that. And like you said, his parachute deployed at the wrong time. He definitely would have died, but you know, we wouldn't <laughs> have much of a film if that happened. And I do also love that moment on the rooftop where he deploys the suit and you see a smidge of fear, right? Like, yeah. you know, he's like prepping yeah. himself to do this really scary thing. Those humanizing elements I thought was really good for connecting to this character that otherwise is really difficult to connect to. You know, yeah, he's and a you billionaire, have, he's all these other things right. that separate him from us. So it was quite nice to have those humanizing moments. And you have the black eye makeup as well, which is, I think, that for the first mm-hmm. time first ever time, on screen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it makes sense. I mean, there's a ridiculous bit in Batman versus Superman when Superman takes off Batman's cowl and sort of takes off all the, the black eye makeup as well. Um, but I love you know, just visually seeing Robert Patterson with those panda eyes. And I think Matt Reeves has talked about the theatricality of that. It is like something backstage that an actor would do. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I love that humanizing element as well. 
There's definitely parts I loved about it. I also struggled with him, which I'm happy to admit. So obviously I know Robert Pattinson from back in my Twilight days, and I don't feel like he grew much between playing that role and playing this role. But I know he has because his other performances and other films between those two films were outstanding. But this, I almost felt like he just reverted back to being that one note vampire. And that bothered me. I mean, I guess it helps to hear you guys say like he's figuring himself out and stuff, but it just felt like this the entire time. There was no range. Even when he was like making out with Catwoman, which we'll get to because I really had an issue with that too. But like, I didn't feel there was any chemistry or any need for them to kiss. And then when they just kiss, it was like a homework assignment. It Oh, opinions. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this isn't an original point to me. This is a point I took from a podcast, Mr. Sunday Movies. Um, but they were they were talking about how this is the first ever Batman film. As in, this is a film actually about Batman. Batman is the central character. Usually there's Bruce Wayne and he's the central character and then he plays as Batman sometimes. Here, the, there's really no difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman. And you even get a kind of in-between Batman, Bruce Wayne at a few times when he just puts a hood on and a cap. And he does stuff basically as Batman, which is how I imagine he was in year one, maybe mm-hmm. before he developed the suit. Um, but he's going back to, he's kind of reverting back to that. And then there's scenes when he's Bruce Wayne. And, you know, the, the, there's a very telling moment when he's looking at the son of the mayor as Batman. And then later on, he sees the son of the mayor again at the funeral, the memorial service. And he's just exactly the same. He's just staring. He's just, there's nothing. He's just, he's dead inside both as Batman as Bruce Wayne. So um, there is a little less depth and variety than in other Batman performances where you do have Bruce Wayne and you do have Batman. Um, but I, I liked that. And I, and I think, I, I think when you're looking at the performance, it's, you know, thinking about what Batman is doing is, is part of the performance where you, when usually it's kind of like we divide these characters up, we think about, the Bruce Wayne performance more than the Batman performance. Here, there's just one complete overall performance. Um, so you have to think about it all in a way that you don't for other film versions, I think. Yeah, I uh, I was very happy to see uh, how much Batman was in a Batman movie. Uh, very happy with that. And I think this is, and I love what they do uh, uh, they talked about this, uh, what's his name, film critic Chris Stuckman, uh, when he reviewed his movie on YouTube, uh, he said uh, something that he really enjoyed was you will often hear Batman before you see Batman. And they really play on the sound and the shadow uh, because he, he says that in, the, in his opening monologue, they think I'm, you know, they think I'm in the shadows, but I am the shadows. And quite a few times in the film you will hear him before you see him and um i think that uh i mean that ramped up the intimidation factor for me um but uh i don't know if we're going to get to this later but uh, i i really liked this batman uh but pattinson did not sell bruce wayne for me i did not i did not buy him as bruce wayne i thought he was a brat and he had the most punchable face in the movie yeah, we were kind of saying the same thing, but I don't know, like now I'm wondering, is this like a comic book thing or is this my preconceptions from the Nolan films? Because Bruce Wayne in the Nolan films is charismatic, swanky, you know? Yeah. And is that 
is that my impression? So therefore, who the hell is this guy? He's not Bruce Wayne at all, or it, well, it wasn't really yeah. much to do in the film as Bruce Wayne. That's no, the other thing. yeah, like because the film was very Batman focused, yeah, you know, there was no lavish balls. It wasn't that. Also, wasn't the tone of the film. Mm. You know, him suddenly turning up in a, as a playboy with three women on his own would be really jarring. Having watched the other three hours and they didn't talk about the business they didn't talk about you know there were no guests at the house so you're right like we were not looking at any other aspect of life except batman they mentioned the accountants at the beginning i can Mm. only keep them off for so long yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and they do visit but we cut away before we actually see bruce wayne meeting the accountants because it's it's not the focus of the film i mean i i think in terms of the comics and and steven you'd know more um but thinking about like the year one comic series for example i mean you, you you see the suave, charismatic Bruce Wayne later on. I think once he sort of developed his um, mm-hmm. Batman persona a bit more. Yeah. So yeah. at this point, he's really kind of messed up, and he's kind of suicidal uh, and um, doesn't mm-hmm. care. Well, yeah, and I think that's. Uh, I think that also um, when uh, the director Chris, or not Christopher Nolan, uh, Matt Reeves when he chose to use that Nirvana song, Something in the Way, that's very fitting because there is something in the way of Bruce Wayne moving on with his life. And he, mm. thinks, he thinks Batman can do that. He thinks Batman can help that. But there's something in the way of, of Bruce Wayne dealing with the death of his parents and the fallout of that. And uh, I, I thought that the song choice is great. I think it's interesting too that they bookend it. They bookend the movie with it. Yeah. Um, and it was I in like the trailer the as well. On, I like the play on words there too. Of like, there's something in the way, as in it's stopping him from moving forward, mm-hmm. but also the way that he goes about his life. There's something mm-hmm. in the way that you're deciding to move with this. Yes. And he did say he was also kind of inspired by Kurt Cobain in this character of Batman, that he mm-hmm. took a lot of that characterization and put it into Robert Pattinson's version. Yeah. Uh, quick aside, I think I fixed the chat. I'm sorry, I had that disabled apparently. So if somebody could check if, if you're able to chat, I would, I would be grateful. But yeah, Seth, yeah, I think that's really interesting to pull that out um, and bring in the Nirvana element. That does lead us pretty well into talking about the music too. So I don't know if you want to yeah. geek out about that a little bit. Well, I mean, just a quick point. It's usual that when, I mean, you, you've been talking about this recently, um, Maggie on uh, Other Minds and Hands. The trailer uh, is the trailer and the film is the film well here actually i think matt reeves has done an amazing job of setting the tone really early on so i had to look up uh, when the first teaser was i think it was february 2020 and that was a kind of screen test of robert patterson's costume it was black and red and we heard the like, now iconic don 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 almost mm-hmm. like a funeral dirge um batman theme Ooh. which i was worried that it was going to get very repetitive um, a bit like the Wonder Woman whale in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which by the end of it sounds like her ringtone, like, oh, you know, Wonder Woman's got another text message. Um, but it wasn't overused in the final film. And yet it was also still right in that very first, not even a teaser, just a screen test that was released for the fans. And then DC Fandom 2020, uh, which this poster commemorates, uh, released an early trailer, which had Nirvana something in the way as its main song and i'm so used to seeing like the perfect song in a trailer and it's nowhere in the finished film so i was so pleased to see that in the finished film as well and 
there must you know you mentioned the uh relationship between matt reeves and the composer um they must have a really good relationship because usually the composer comes in like a parachuted in right at the end you know a month before the film is finished right uh, or something like that it, that's what it feels like mm-hmm. and they score the finished film whereas this time it's really kind of a much more collaborative process because we had that main batman theme so early and it was released for the fans and i really appreciate that and uh i know robert pattinson has said in interviews that um he would listen to Giacchino's theme over and over and over to help him get into the you know just the mindset of the character um joaquin phoenix did the same thing when he was filming um uh joker and he would listen to hilder gutnadotter's theme over and over and over to help him get into the mindset there he is batman yeah, uh, Jim Lee poster um, showing Robert Patterson as so Batman. Cool. So That's cool, great. and the black and red um, sort of symbolism, the coloring, which is again in the film throughout. And this was released in so when was DC Fandom? It was like kind of July 2020 or something. So quite a long time before the film came out. But they they'd filmed maybe about a third of it, and then they released that poster. We'll bring this back up too, because I think we've got a uh, red and black slide here, don't we? Or is it these guys? Yeah, you do have that imagery throughout. And the reveal of the suit, I thought was a really big deal. We've been talking a lot about that, that, you know, the humanizing thing of of Batman, that this felt super low tech Batman. Mm -hmm. Like the only real fancy pants tech was stuff that was really expensive or the contact lenses that seemed to be able to do everything. There wasn't a lot else. Like his car was a souped up car. His suit was made of leather. And I was reading about that and they were talking about it being like a Russian soldier pressure suit. So it had laced up sides and elastic so people could move, just people, so Batman could move. Um, and the the cape or the, uh, the flying suit being made of complete leather. So there's just some real like human elements about it. And the vest was based off of an equestrian protective vest. So it had plates and pieces in it that would bend and flex um, like a soldier's outfit, really. We had some comments yeah. about the cape, but- Yeah, we actually like the cape. Yeah. It's like, it's almost cast, like the top quarter already has the lines in it. And then the movement is below that. But every time you saw it in shot, which is usually at night anyway, and wet, it looked stunning. It always looked like it was in movement. Yeah. And then it also looked in, it could have just been the way it was, but it wasn't cut straight. And it, at the bottom, it was cut at an angle, which then gives it that impression that it's also like there's some movement going on. So um, visually, just really striking. Yeah, really, I think the cape was really good. Like, not necessarily think, oh, the cape was nice. You know, you notice it. And this shot, the bottom one I've got upside here, down. the upside down reflection when the car is flipped over. Absolutely love that and the movement of the cloak, but just the silhouette of, of the Batman. Um, and I think this was the first suit that also had a uh, non-connected headpiece so he could fully turn his head. Dark Knight has that. Oh, yeah, Dark Knight had that. Yeah. All right. Because it's oh, yeah. ridiculous. The, the old Michael yeah. Keaton, yeah, it can't even move. Yeah, the neck mm-hmm. brace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and that's uh, you know, and just the the slide that we just had, the bad suit silhouetted by the fire, the city. We we get a lot of that in the movie, and and those those little snippets that they do there, it makes it makes it feel like a comic book, like it's jumping out of the pages. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the director of photography, Greg Fraser, Dune, 
Rogue One, Zero Dark Thirty, he is not afraid to let that camera linger and get those good shots, those wide shots. I mean, he, oh my gosh, it was, I think as far as Batman films, other than the Snyderverse, this is the best looking Batman movie. I think I'd agree with that. I mean, I, Nolan is right up there for me, but visually and how it relates to like a comic book. I love that. I mean, we don't have a lot of color Mm -hmm. in this film. It's, it's a small palette, which has a lot of impact. And Mm -hmm. some of these shots, you're right. He just holds them. I've done a a bit in uh, other minds in hands where you talk about the average shot is three to five seconds. And if it stays in anything longer than five seconds, there's something you're supposed to notice. And these Mm -hmm. establishing shots, I haven't timed them, but I would guess they're eight to 10 seconds. I mean, they really do hold that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the opposite of taken three, which every shot is (laughs) one second long. And I've never wanted to leave a theater faster. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, And and that, it also sort of lends itself to the, the the film noir aesthetic, which is which is normal. Mm. You know, film noir is is sort of classic. Uh, you know, forties and fifties, really. Uh, I used to, if you think about the third man, um, the ending shot of that is just this long, incredibly long shot of just a person walking away. Um, you kind of get that sort of feel with some I of the know. shots in the Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and speaking of noir, uh, Chikino's Catwoman theme could be straight out of the 30s any 30s film yeah i mean when i first heard that i was sitting in my car and i had just had this image of selena kyle you know leaning out her deck you know looking over the city on a dark rainy night with like a glass of scotch and she's just like i wish i could be anywhere else right now i don't want to be here and just said oh man he nailed it he got it he just captured that that longing that we we should have seen more in Selena Kyle, but uh, yeah, it was it was right out of the thirties, thirties and forties. He did such a good job, and 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 he originally had had more to that Catwoman theme. He had saxophones and all kinds of stuff, and I'm so glad that they scaled that back down. So we got this this beautiful melody. He plays it on the piano and the strings, and that's really all that we needed, and it was perfect. Let's talk about Selena Kyle. As a character, her like plot-wise, what do you think about her role? And then maybe performance and overview, general thoughts on Selena Kyle. I think um I mean Catwoman is often a, a what you might call a gray character. Uh not really an anti-hero, not really a villain, not necessarily good. Batman's kind of like that, but he's much more, you know, trying to be good, um, lawful good, maybe, or I don't know, chaotic good. And then Selena Kyle is more kind of like chaotic neutral or true neutral to use Dungeons and Dragons terms. Um, what, what I think often happens with Catwoman and Batman is, is a lot of conflict between them. And there is this idea in narrative that you've got to have conflict. And the more conflict you have, the better. They always have characters who are fighting, arguing with each other. R2-D2 and C-3PO, they're always bickering. Um, Catwoman and Batman kind of always at odds. You get that in the Christopher Nolan films. You know, he's always trying to convince, trying to convince her to do stuff. And I liked how they were working together more on this film. There was much less conflict between them than you might have seen in other adaptations 
um, and kind of much less conflict in general, actually. I mean, that as a general point about this film, it wasn't really about opposing forces. Even the Riddler was trying to work with Batman and thought he was working with Batman. You know, uh, it's more about just trying to solve this mystery. And then it comes to a lot of conflict right at the end. But it wasn't kind of all the way through this argument or this kind of this opposing forces sort of thing. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of the relationship between Bruce and Selena or Batman and Catwoman. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen uh, we either needed Catwoman or we needed Carmine Falcone. We did not need both. Mm. Um, and because there's, you know, the movie goes along, goes along. And then we have to stop for 30 minutes and tell Catwoman's story and then get back to the Riddler. Um, I think that she would have been a fantastic ally and she is a fantastic ally in this movie, uh, whether she wanted to be or not. Um, as far as like her performance, I think that Zoe Kravitz, um, again, like I said, with the, the music, uh, she really captures what it would be like to live in the slums of Gotham. Like you could tell as she's struggling, um, you can see, you can see the hardships in her face when she talks. Um, and, uh, and even sometimes, you know, when she, when she doesn't have her wig on, which is like a whole different persona, you can see that she's, she sometimes will just be very, you know, she'll hold her hands closer to herself and she's not as expressive as she, as she would be. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, the 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 dynamic between the two was great. Um, even though Batman was just like, "I'm going to intentionally put you in harm's way to accomplish my goals," you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I really would have liked to. I really would have liked to have seen more of the team up, and I hope we get more of that in the sequel. Regardless of the fact that she did try to kill a cop. Um, <laughs> by kicking him off the roof, um, you know, yeah, she is wow. she is a great a dirty character, cop. dirty cop, yes, yeah, dirty yeah. cop. But uh, yeah, I do think I really hope she comes back for a sequel, and I hope that, I hope I really hope she has a bigger part and a, a a bigger story arc too. I'd like to see that. But she really did. Go ahead. No, sorry. Um, I think I'm taking your point about her either Carmine Falcone or her. I, I think they should have done what they did with the Penguin, where she was in the film, but just enough where you're like, I want to see her character again. And I came mm -hmm. away, I'm sure we'll discuss it with her later, but I came away wanting to see more of the Penguin, definitely less of the Riddler. And I, I wasn't, no, like, I, there's certain things that happened with her in the plot that I just was like, she wouldn't do that. Not this early in, in the, you know. Like what? Like the kiss, the kiss was just like yeah. so. Like, what? Really? Also, yeah, I'm like, I have to harp on those. Also, because I was 100% convinced they were going to show her as a lesbian. Yeah. Because her concern mm -hmm. for her friend Agnishka, I think that was her name, Annika, um, was so strong. And she kept calling her baby. And they were really affectionate in face to face. So at no point did I question that she would be into him. So when the kiss did happen, there had been no hint of sexual chemistry or any sort of flirtation. And then mm -hmm. it just felt wrong and like kissing your brother. Well, it could, it could be that she's trying to manipulate him mm. to get him to help her 
uh, come back on Carmine. Cause uh, she does, she, she wants, I think she does ask him like, like help me do this. And then let's get, you know, we'll go away together. We can yeah. leave this place. Maybe it's manipulation. It yeah, it could be manipulation. It could have been. I just think Batman's kind of sexy in this film. <laughs> and if you're in that situation, sure, you know, you'd go and lean in for yeah. a snog. Uh, I mean, I, I think she's, yeah, I, th- I think she's probably bisexual. I mean, I think I, I agree about your point about uh, um, roommates, um, which which I, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of. I mean, if, if you're going to have a bisexual character, have a bisexual character, right? Um, and you know, if if she's kissing Batman, she should kiss um, her friend as well. I've forgotten her friend's name, yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and then you know, her friend dies, and and she's kind of upset. But then it kind of the plot moves on quite quickly. So I would have liked to have seen a bit more of that, and yeah. that might have explained her her chemistry or lack of. With exactly, and like well. maybe it just feels unresolved to me because there was like an element where she was sitting down talking to all of the dirty cops and stuff, and then somebody mentioned her friend. And yeah. they ran off together and he was like, no, no, stay, stay there, stay there, ask those questions. And she's like, no, I only care about my friend. I told you that. Yeah. So her drive seemed so strong for her own purposes. And then it just kind of petered out. Once her friend was dead, she didn't seem to be that engaged well, in that, that anymore. That was it. She, she, she unzips the bag, there's the body in there. She goes, oh, well, takes a bag of money and disappears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm over it. And with you, like, if you're going to have a bisexual character, then just lean into it. I, I thought she was going to be de- um, depicted as a lesbian, and I was thrilled that it wasn't a song and dance. It was like, oh, look, I love this person. It's not like, oh, look, I have a character that is bisexual. And if, if we take on Stephen's point earlier about, um, you know, she's manipulating Batman, mm-hmm. you know, it, I don't know if it's implicit enough, but there is an argument to be made that maybe she wasn't in a relationship with the other girl and she was manipulating the other girl to get information against Carmine. And all the way through, she just Ooh. uses, but there's not enough in there for yeah. us to go. And wouldn't it be nicer if those seeds were sown that we can see that later? So we can go, ooh, but I don't know if that was strong enough. But then yeah. that would fit in with the character. Yeah. Well, at least the comic book version of the character where, you know, she does almost whatever she wants mm. to get whatever she needs. And, doesn't matter what who's in the way. She's not a complete maniac. But. And, also, and that would take on another 30 to 40 minutes of this already very long movie. Like, do we even need to talk about the length? It was an hour and a half too long. Maybe 45 minutes. If like I'll fight for that. But like I think it wasn't long enough in my opinion. I just like I I I <laughs> I've never felt less bored in anything. I just I I just loved it. I loved feeling you know with the nice thing about long films is that you kind of feel like you're in the film so i actually yeah. rewatched it for this and dreamt i was in the film afterwards oh. i loved it more than merrier and and i think yeah it is pretty slow i mean it takes its time with the detective story that is the heart of this um we'll see maybe we'll see more character development and sequels and maybe we'll judge it differently then we should probably actually say a little bit like what the plot is right we haven't actually said much about that so you know We've already said spoilers. You guys are in it to win it. But yeah, I mean, I guess like one of the, the main takeaways of this plot is that there isn't a good and a bad, right? Like everyone's kind of walking this line. Like cops are supposed to be the good guys that protect you and they're not in this. And the Riddler and the Batman are almost two sides of the same line. And that's, I think that's definitely how the Riddler yes. sees it. He's trying to, you know, align himself with him, but the Batman is working with the cops thinking he's doing good and the Riddler is just on the other side causing a bit of chaos. Well, we see in the beginning as well, going back to um, 
uh, Gabriel on about that. Uh, this is seen from the, the trailer where he says, I am vengeance. He beats up all those guys. Um, and then the guy that he's supposed to be rescuing is more is equally petrified of him mm -hmm. as he's of the other guys. And this is a guy that's meant to have been being the Batman for two years and has, admits himself that like things aren't working. So the chances are, knowing his detective skills, which we know are shocking, but we'll discuss that later, he's probably beaten up the wrong guy quite a few times. <laughs> that's I mean, that's true too. Maybe he just sucks at this sometimes, but clearly Gordon sees some promise in him. Well, the thing I'm referring to is like that clue about the flying rat. I would say, yeah. Like, it's a freaking bat, people. How many hours did that take? And he's meant to be the world's greatest detective. Yeah, we outwit Superman. Well, and Penguin even mocks him for that too. Yeah, yeah. And we get to see the little penguin shuffle as he as he hops off screen. So, do you think there was a purpose <laughs> yeah. in him being bad at that? Do you think that's showing him? I thought that was a failure of script. I'm curious if you think that's more of a character development. Yeah, I think they just uh, it just almost seemed like, hey, we got to wrap, we got to tie this in somehow. So, bad Spanish. Here we go. Mm. That's then, yeah. I don't know if oh. anyone else agrees because we had a conversation about this. Like the Riddler's riddles were far too easy. Like anyone. Yeah, but I don't, when you've got like a bomb thing on your head, they're pretty difficult. Like under pressure, and Batman under was pressure. quite quick at solving them. That's um, true. I mean, I mean, when somebody asks me to like spell out my address on the phone, I can never come up with what an L stands for. You know, if I had a bomb on my head, I'm pretty yeah, sure. and I and I think mm -hmm. some of it. I mean, the, the you. Uh, uh, URL Gatto. I mean, the URL, that's pretty clever. I thought the whole point about the, the rat with wings is that it does actually mean Falcone because that's that's the one that they're pointing at. Um, it, it is, a, you know, a pen, it could be Penguin, it could be Falcone, it could be Batman. I would have thought Batman, but and I'm sure the, the thought crossed his mind as well, but it doesn't really make sense because he's not the focus of that riddle at that point. Mm. Is he? It it is supposed to point to Falcone, I thought, because he is the the actual person in charge of mm -hmm. this whole operation. Well, he was the uh, he was the rat. He ratted out yeah. Maroni. Yeah. yeah. So he is a rat with wings in the sense, but then a fal falcon isn't really a rat with wings, whereas a bat is. So it, it right. is it is a bit kind of unclear. Yeah. But then my feeling is, and this is often true with the Riddler in comics as well. His riddles aren't very good. And riddles in general aren't very good as well. Like there's always multiple answers to them. And that's True. kind of the point. Like it, it, he's a bit kind of obnoxious in that sense. So, I, yeah. I, so it worked for me. So I don't want to get too far off this, but I remember first time seeing this in the theater when he uh, ends up in a prison cell next to what we can assume yeah. to be the Joker. I really just, I really wanted his response to be when Joker gives him that riddle, riddle like, the more or the less you have, the more valuable they are. I really wanted really to be like, what? <laughs> like, come on, man. You didn't, you're the Riddler. You didn't get it. Come on. <laughs> but there's so many answers to that riddle as well. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah. that, that's what I mean mm -hmm. about these riddles. Always yeah, cool. books, <laughs> beer, it could be yeah, anything. Exactly. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got distracted. Um, um, one other point. I don't know if anyone's mentioned it is that like, Beyond the sequence right at the end of the mayor, does the Batman have any influence on the events that happen throughout the film? Like the, the Riddler's, like the Riddler's plan all the way to blowing up the wall will have happened whether Batman was there or not. All those people will have died 
whether or not Batman was there or not. Yeah. So the do you, do you think that if Riddler hadn't involved Batman with that first card, would he have even cared that politicians were dying? Right. Would he have gotten involved in this at all? It's, right. It's, What's, is it Red Dead Lost Ark where if Indiana Jones isn't in the film, the same sequence of events still happens, basically. He, he <laughs> doesn't, you know. Um, but basically, uh, up until the bit where you sort of, you've got those really inept people with guns who fail to miss someone 20 feet below them when they're trying to shoot the mayor, so-called clean mayor. Um, like, he doesn't have any influence on what happens. People still die, corrupt people still carry on doing what they're doing. And he's just like, he is actually ineffectual after two years. Yeah, but it depends what you think the heart of the story is. So if the heart of the story is that stuff about the murders and people dying and the seawalls exploding and so on, then yeah, Batman has no influence on that plot. And that's a problem narratively. Mm -hmm. But actually, if the if the heart of the story, if this plot is really not about that those external things, but it's an internal narrative, mm -hmm. it is about 100%. Batman's development. Yeah. Uh, Robert Batenbat, Bruce Wayne, realizing that actually he's creating... Uh, the Riddler. He's he's doing more harm than good and he needs to change. And also he needs to realize that there are people in his life that he loves and that he wants to protect. Uh, and so in that sense, uh, all his actions and all the actions that he reacts to do have a profound influence by the end and leads mm. up to that beautiful ending, I think, when he's carrying the boy. Uh, in fact, actually, it's the mayor's son again, I think. Um, and is a kind of like, finally, we're seeing Batman as an action hero, as a superhero, which we haven't seen much of at all, ever. Um, I mean, in general, for me, this felt like I, I was a child again, and I was playing with my action figures. And we have like, you know, just, just so many things I loved. Batman in a nightclub. Just, I just love it. I just love seeing <laughs> Batman in a nightclub. Is brilliant. 10 out of 10. Um, <laughs> Batman like controlling Selina Kyle through the weird uh, eye things. Batman in the police compound being surrounded by cops. Oh. Very similar to like something from the Arkham games as well. It's like, oh, you punched um, me in the face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we have just all these just gorgeous situations, which is why I found the film so joyful, even though it's not a film with a lot of lighthearted moments. And then you get Batman at the end, who's like rescuing people and being this superhero, which again is like a kind of very childlike idea of Batman. But I loved it. It kind of went, you know, pierced my youthful heart uh, and got rid of all my cynicism, even though I wasn't actually a Batman fan as a child because mm -hmm. of Joel Schumacher. But it still kind of reverted me to that age. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that for me, that was the actual story. And so it, it made sense to me as a as a narrative journey. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I yes, I agree with what you're saying. And I like that. Um, it's uh, I what I wish we could have had if, if there's well, if there's one thing I would have changed, there's a lot of things that would have changed. There's one thing I would have changed. It would have been the ending. We didn't need Batman, Batman and Catwoman driving off into the sunset. What we needed was after the flooding and everything we needed Bruce Wayne to go to Mayor Real and say, you told me once I should be doing more with my family's legacy. I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to bring hope to Gotham. And I'm not talking about the city. I'm talking about its people. Gotham is a people. And I see that now. And I see that I can make a difference. Like 
will you, can I help you do this? Like, that's the ending I wanted to see. Um, in addition to that wonder, that just extraordinary shot of as the, the person, the little kids being airlifted, she just doesn't want to let go of Batman like that. Like, yeah, you know, going back to that theme, something in the way, like this is your chance to move past that now because Gotham needs Batman and it needs Bruce Wayne. I think I would have liked that too, because that my one note complaint that would have solved that if we had just a little glimmer of him accepting a different mantle and saying, what I was doing wasn't working. We're going to try this. Yes. And I have all these resources that I'm not tapping into. Yeah. Let's play that card. And yeah, that absolutely would have shown interest for the next film. So like it would have piqued your interest for a sequel and been like, ooh, something different. But it really would have shown that progression. Going off into the sunset with Catwoman, I was vomiting by that point. I'm like, no, no. Yeah. We hear like also, the good, the, we hear the good, the bad, and the ugly theme in the background. Yeah. And I just really struggled with the pacing of the third act. It just felt like they threw all the things at the wall and hoped something stuck. And timing wise, I like wanted to stop watch as things started flooding. And I was like, this doesn't work. Like none of those things would happen. But Gabriel, I'm also so glad to hear your perspective because if you suspend all of my practical brain, it's a lot of fun, you know? So like, I yeah, am glad to it hear is that so much reaction fun, yeah. of like- Yeah, and we- obviously everybody loved it you know the 88 percent rating is mm -hmm. not something to be sniffed at and we needed that tunnel gunfight scene holy yeah. cow man that looks so good yeah. and that's uh, and that's when uh and i love like that's when jacchino cranked that volume up to 11 and broke the knob off with that batman theme because he came in loud and and boisterous and there was no we're not going to rest to the note it's bum Bum, 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 bum. And you can feel like, like as they're pounding on the drums, Batman is pounding the snot out of these people. It was just an intense 15 seconds. Yeah. yeah. Very impactful. Um, out of interest, do you think the finale, as it appears, is in keeping with the tone of the rest of the film? Because that's my biggest thing that I really was like... The last, that last the explosion, all the rest of the ridiculousness. It just felt like it got in front of a committee who said, "There's not enough explosions in it. We need a big finale because it's been so like seven all the way through, you know, like the, the, the yeah, the seven the oh, okay. serial killers, like you know, we're, we're stalking this guy. We're eventually going to catch him one way or another, and then we get this big ridiculous. And I know it's the Riddlers was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sort of washing the streets, for, you know, free of the filth and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But yeah, it was just a bit, after having it so sort of low key all the way through, to then have this rather ridiculous thing at the end. There we go. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a thing that a lot of films have trouble with the third act. Um, I mean, the the Star Trek uh, films as well. You know, they and and JJ Abrams' work quite generally sort of does descend into just punching people on a train um, by the third act because you do you actually I th I do think you need a big explosion, right? You need wake up. This is the end of the film. We're seeing something different. We're in a different context. These are the effects of Act One and Two. Like this is what act one and two um the consequences of that and this is how these characters are reacting to it and uh characters the main character should sort of go through a doorway that they can't 
go back from. They they should do something mm -hmm. that they weren't doing in the first two acts. So it should feel different. It shouldn't feel too glaring. Uh, and I think that that may very well be an issue with this film. Very difficult to solve that because it is such a beautifully sort of slow paced um, mm -hmm. story. Um, you know, maybe it should have been a TV series. Maybe that would have been been better, and then you wouldn't have had to had uh, such a explosive third act. But again, you know, it comes down to does it work for you? And I, when I rewatched this film on Friday night, when we got to the flooding and everyone's in that big convention center, and then you see the explosions up in the ceiling. And then Batman comes through and I literally stood up and I clapped and I cheered. I'm, I know I'm very sad, but I, 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 live no, I love it. But I was like, it's Batman. You know, he's coming through the ceiling. There's explosions everywhere. He's kicking ass. I love it. I love it. This is what I want to see. This is this makes me happy. And mm -hmm. I, it gave it to me like I thought it was great fan service. So, you know, I'm not being very um, objective or cerebral as, as you both are. You don't really want <laughs> but to. But it worked. It, it worked for me. Good. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, I, I mean, my go-to movies are action movies. And so, like, I want to see things blow up. Uh, like, I'm fine with that. Um, I do think, though, I, I mean, if it seemed a little, if that, if that, whole, if that whole scene felt a little off it's because there was a piece missing and it was the batman because batman you know riddler thought that batman was going to join his side and so we don't know what batman's role would have been in that whole process you know yeah riddler manipulated him uh through riddles and such but he kind of counted on batman joining his side and so we don't know what batman would have done uh, to, to bring about this kind of uh, catastrophe on Gotham and what what he would have done going forward. Um, uh, I do like that. Um, I do like the way that they use light in this movie for such a dark character uh, at some of his more mellow, mellow points in the film. Uh, not only is he a little bit more in the light, but he you also hear the Bruce Wayne theme instead of the Batman theme. And so I thought that was very, uh, I thought it was very cool when uh, Batman jumps down into the water and he lights his flare and he's literally, he is leading people out with the light. He is yeah. that light that people follow. And, uh, and it's very cool that uh, it was the mayor's son that took his hand first. Uh, I thought that was very important uh, for his, for Bruce, for Bruce Wayne's growth to see that he could make a difference. Yeah, and foreshadowing Robin, perhaps, especially, ah. the, well, the way that um, the mayor's son is introduced as playing, I mean, you all, it, it's right at the start of the film, after the title, The Batman, you think you're seeing the young Bruce Wayne with Alfred, but it's actually the mayor and his son. Um, and so, you know, I mean, he's not Dick Grayson, he's not this sort of that background, but Robin has so many, there's so many different Robin robins and even if it's not like this is setting up a robin for a future film it's setting up that kind of relationship i think mm. yeah, yeah and I definitely, that, go ahead i definitely take on board what you're saying about you know the the mayor's son and the through line i absolutely think that's what he needs to be there for and shows that character growth and i love the idea that you're kind of laying that foundation potentially for a robin but it just felt so smashed over my head i probably could have seen it three times and not seven I mean, every time there was some rescue happening or some hand being grabbed or some eyes being locked, it was the mayor's son. 
So I think I just got tired by the end and I just got annoyed by all of it. So I made a culpa. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I think it's a, it's a really attractive thing of the Batman characters that he, he beats uh, thugs to pulp, um, but he's like a little kid basically. Mm. Uh, so when he looks at that child, he sees himself. He's never really changed from that moment. He's still that mm. little child inside. And I think that was really captured really well. Can I do one more complaint and then we'll, I'll stop being negative Nancy. How he treats Alfred. Oh my gosh, yes. That relationship, first of all, like we were saying, it wouldn't matter if Batman was in this or not because Alfred solved all the ciphers. Like Batman didn't do any of that. That was all Alfred. And the way he treated him was just God awful. And when he wakes up in the hospital and he just like is pissed at You lied to me. Yeah, I was like, no. I mean, I understand being a cranky teenager, but- this felt next level to me. This this man raised you. This has been your your heart and your soul. And he also makes the, the jibe about the cufflinks. You're not a Wayne. Yeah. Mm. Like talk about a low dig. Like your parents died 18 years ago. Why are you still so angry and directly at him? Gabriel's laughing. Yeah. You're like, nah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I just love it. You know, it's just like it, it, this is I, I love that relationship. Um, I, I really like Andy Serkis as, as Alfred Pennyworth. Um, yeah. It reminded me of Sean Pertwee's um, version yes. from the Gotham oh, series. It's a quite a similar kind of grisly kind of. Um, yeah, it, it has heart, but it also has edge, whereas like Michael Caine's Alfred is just heart. It's just kind of, you know, he's on the verge of tears at all times. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Let's see where this is going. I, I think in sequels, if if Bruce Wayne is much nicer to Alfred, then this justifies this approach. If he's yeah, still a brat, then close. yeah, th mm -hmm. if it's still a brat, then I totally agree. Sarah's commenting in the chat here. First of all, Sarah said, really love the musical details that Stephen's bringing up. So thanks, Stephen, for bringing all those things in. Um, but she asks, is it because Andy Serkis isn't as lovable and cuddly as Michael Caine? And I think he's pretty I, lovable and cuddly. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely lovable and he's quite endearing. He's just a little bit gruffer yeah. and I'm kind of okay with that. Well, yeah, think about, I mean, watching watching them interact is like, like, I've definitely spoken to my father in that kind of tone before. You know, and I'm lucky, you know, I'm lucky he didn't, you know, kick me out of the house. You go fend for yourself. You know, that's, he was being a jerk, not my dad, uh, Batman. Uh, Bruce was being a jerk to Alfred, but I came to see that as, you know, this is a father and son dynamic. And we have this angsty teenager letting off steam on his father figure and his father figure is big enough to just take it. Yeah. And I mean, how old is Bruce Wayne in this? Where he's like mid twenties, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he's like twenty five. Uh, is do we know he's twenty eight? Yeah. How do we know that? Uh, I don't think they say it in the film, but I think it was in quite a few of the articles. Okay. It might have been Still, in the profile. I mean, I think I think the idea with that kind of you know becoming an orphan at such a young age, it kind of you know stops the clock with his mental development. Mm. Um, and he sort of remains a child and he doesn't really get to grow up much he doesn't mm. so he's really is kind of a teenager um he's just got that the man a 28 year old that's a really fair point yeah teenage mm -hmm. keeping journals having yeah. kind of a stunted emotional growth emo. not having anyone yeah, emo, put him yeah. in, and not Loves having anyone that can, no one can put him in line yeah. because he's the head of the household he's the billionaire around town 
You know, yeah, Alfred's and, probably the only one that can talk to him like that, but he doesn't feel like he has to listen to him like that. But also Alfred is the butler. So yeah, Alfred exactly. always, you know, and he's, and he, and Robert Patterson, sorry, Bruce Wayne says, you're not my father, you know, and yeah, he isn't. And he can't, he can't yeah. actually, but you can't, he could never say, go to your room, Bruce. Yeah. because he's actually there to help so it's it's always a difficult relationship not that i have that many tears to shed for the billionaires with butlers but you know losing your parents yeah. uh, whoever you are is 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 traumatic and, and well you do and also have the difference of it you do also have the difference of everybody that sees bruce wayne in town oh look it's bruce wayne you know he's still like that recluse but also celebrity type figure no one's going to be able to talk to him like a real person he yeah. doesn't have that in his life all right, you helped explain some of that relationship to Andy Serkis, but that doesn't mean I like it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very different Alfred or a relationship with Alfred than we've seen in other versions. You know, mm-hmm. Jeremy Irons is very much like sort of a wisecrack in my pain. Mm. He doesn't give two Fs, as it were. But then Ben Affleck's meant to be a lot older. It's like on the, the Twilight years, as it were. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just different. Um, speaking of differences, we also had a question earlier that I'll just bring in. What's the relation of film Batman to comic Batman? Is there some concept of continuity within this film or is it a pretty total rethink of the character? She says, I'm pretty clueless about the comics and always wonder if there's a strong connection between the comic and the film. So I'm not as familiar with the comics, but how do you guys think this Batman compares to the comic with it, Batman? It's running the year one, year two timeline, isn't it really? Um. So yeah, they used quite a few sources uh, for this movie. Matt Reeves, especially when he was writing, uh, of course they went to year one. Of course he went to Long Halloween. Uh, if you, uh, I'm trying to think what the other ones are. Um, I've got them right here. Batman Earth One by Jeff Johns. That's a huge influence. And actually I think that's where they get their inspiration for Alfred in this one. A little more gruff, a little more you know, uh, rough around the edges. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this Batman kind of feels like they took some of the Dark Knight detective from the late thirties, early forties and sprinkled in some of the, um, angsty, um, angry Batman from the eighties, Frank Miller's Batman mm-hmm. and kind of put it, to, put it together. Um, I mean, it's Batman. Batman, like even like all of his villains, Batman has to speak to the audience that he's appearing before. Batman has to adjust and adapt to to his readers and to his film audience. And um, I think what they've done, uh, as far as taking the comic books and adapting it to film, I mean, they've done a good job. They've captured a character, and, but they've also it, he's not just a cookie cutter character. Um, they've added things. They've added that you know uh the way that he speaks to alfred and the way that he you know even the technology he uses where they put the bat cave um uh you know his motivations i mean it's the same character but he's different and that that's good writing we you know as long as they keep doing that like bring on the batman um but yeah that's the number one you know the number one source was the comics and uh and i also i don't know if this has anything to do with the question, but I'm also very glad that we've never seen a film adaptation of any of the comics. Like the year one, we haven't had a year one movie. We don't have a long Halloween movie. I don't want to see that. I already know mm-hmm. how that story ends. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, that's yeah, go ahead. 
there's animated versions i guess of like mm-hmm. the killing joke and stuff like that but yeah certainly certainly yeah but yeah i mean th- you know i want people who don't read the comics to be able to watch these movies and have an idea you know to walk away like oh i think i understand who this character is and i think i can connect with this character in this way and i think this film does that pretty well I also think that's such a strength about transmedia that you've got all these different things that you can tap into. So your knowledge from the comics leads into your enjoyment of the film, which is influenced by your knowledge of the cartoons and all these things Mm -hmm. don't have to replicate each other. And I think that's one of the faultings of adaptation when somebody tries to perfectly replicate a work. It never works that way. So, you know, take in the, the media that you have access to and play with it, because then you do just get to enjoy more time in that world. Because when you were talking to Gabriel earlier, about, I didn't care that it was three hours. I would have sat there longer. I just loved, you know, being there. That's how I felt with The Hobbit, of all things. Like, I, mm. that's a whole other lecture series of, I didn't really like The Hobbit films. But it's more time in Middle Earth. I get to hang out there. That was fun. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to go back to Middle Earth, sure. Yeah, and, and I think this did a great job of selling Gotham. I mean, I want to move to Gotham after watching this film, which I know is crazy, but I, I do. They I, need I, to I, get I, a better garbage service first, and then you can go. Yeah, I'm, but I, I think it's because we haven't seen Gotham for quite a while. Like, we, we see snatches of it in the Snyderverse, but, you know, blink and you miss it. And Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan's Gotham was basically just Chicago, um, mm-hmm. past the dark, uh, past Batman Begins. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed that, um, that world building that they did. Um, and just to respond to Sarah's question, I mean, I... I I thought um, Gotham by Gaslight was also another kind of influence, Ooh. which was an animated series. Very much the costume, this weird thing that goes around the neck, yeah. uh, the kind of the leather uh, st- stitched aspect of um, Batman's suit. Uh, and the Batman Arkham games as well. Um, the way the thugs all dressed up in like Halloween makeup at, at the start of the film is very mm-hmm. much like Arkham games where they all sort of look the same and they say it's the bat as you swoop in mm-hmm. um and yeah just the, i think there was enough in there that as someone who's read comics and played games and stuff i see stuff that looks familiar but it isn't a straight up copy of any story which i agree with you Stephen, is a good thing and uh i mean for people people like us that are reading the comics i mean man the easter eggs that just elevates the movie for me. You know, yeah. the the Two-Face Easter egg, the Hush Easter egg, yeah. uh, the Joker Easter egg that wasn't an Easter egg because he was in the movie. Uh, you know, all these little, or, you know, even before we were recording, I was like, did anybody catch that Penguin was introduced in Purple Plaid because that was Purple Plaid because that was his first appearance was in Purple Plaid. Like, do you need to read the comics to enjoy the movies? No, but... You should read the comics. You should read the comics. Read the source material. Absolutely. So just out of curiosity, do you think this movie would make people go out and buy comics, Batman comics? I hope so. I think so, because I'm not a comics person. I don't know if the movie would make me read the comics, but you guys talking talking about this makes me want to read the comics. So, like, I guess there's enough in it that as long as somebody points it out to me, I'd be Mm -hmm. more engaged with reading those specific ones. Gabriel, what are like maybe the two or three comics that you would recommend for people that don't read comics, so they've seen the movie? What are some of the ones that were influential for you? Uh, I mean, I think Batman Year One was was hmm. is a good kind of intro. Um, um, yeah, I'll have to think about that. I don't, I don't know, I because I, I 
I, I, I would say just pick up any Batman comic, <laughs> just the nearest one available to you. I think they're all good. I, 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 I think as long as it's a Batman solo comic, I mean, I think Batman mm. in the Justice League is a whole different issue because he basically just hangs back and makes the tea. Um, but in general, you know, if it's a Batman solo um, comic, um, if you're already a comic book fan and you like Judge Dredd, there's some fantastic crossover comics oh, between yeah, Batman cool. and Judge Dredd, which I would also really recommend. Um, and yeah, it, it, the, the Judge Dredd, Batman and Rorschach from Watchmen are all oh kind gosh. of similar characters. So if you like if you like any one of those, then definitely read the others. Love watching all three of you go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, I, I just we, want, we should do the Dread movie, just saying. Well, I could yeah. be the next yeah. one. Um, I did just want to pull this up. We were talking about makeup and costuming. So this is Colin Farrell, the guy that plays the Penguin, and is utterly it's incredible. It's incredible. Apparently, they were doing the test runs for the makeup, and he would just go to different Starbucks um, in the full makeup, and nobody recognized him, and he got a lot of dirty looks from people, <laughs> which I quite liked. Um, and then we didn't really talk about Gordon and we haven't actually talked about the Riddler. So I want to just kind of touch on those two peripheral characters um, in our last five, 10 minutes. Um, any thoughts that you want to share? I really enjoyed Gordon here, but I don't feel like he had a lot. Like, I, I think he's still young in his career too. And he just felt more like a narrative element to move story along. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a character arc. There wasn't a lot of growth from A to B. Yeah, I mean, he's putting his his neck on the line for Batman, and that's yeah. kind of justified by the end of it. He he's the one non dirty cop. I I thought he was as good as um, Gary Oldman in the Batman Begins, you know, and and that character developed more in the sequel. So let's let's wait and see. There was supposed to be a spin off TV series for Jeffrey Wright. Um, maybe that's still happening. Uh, that's kind of up in the air, and. He wasn't going to be in the Batgirl uh, film. That was going to be J.K. Simmons re reprising his role from right. Justice League. And that, that's mm -hmm. another kind of Jim Gordon who, you know, blink and you miss him, would have liked to have seen more of. And poor J.K. Simmons was like working out for the role and, and stuff. And you, he's hardly in anything. Uh, so, you know, let's, I'd like to see more, but, but there were a lot of characters in this film. Yeah. I, I think it works, yeah. um, but... I would like to see more of them uh, to see them develop. I think you're right that one of the best strengths of this character, though, is that relationship with the Batman. So yeah. Yeah. that doesn't really falter throughout this film. And they're both kind of figuring it out together. So this could be seen as a very long foundation line mm -hmm. for what comes next. Yeah, if we end up, uh, if we end up uh, getting more Reeves, Pattinson, Batman movies, I would rather see a Batman Gordon team up than a Batman Robin team up or Batman and anybody else. Mm. I really, really, really liked this incarnation of Jim Gordon. I really did. Uh, what, what in particular? Uh, I like that he kind of provided some of the humor uh, as opposed to Batman. You know, when they go to the yeah. mayor's garage, walks in and just, damn, yeah. must be good to be the mayor. Like, <laughs> he, he provides some of that little comic relief that we need with, without compromising his character you know he's still a serious person but he kind of says the things that maybe we as an audience would want to say you know and you know and he take you know he takes a punch from batman i mean that's that's something i i don't know i don't punch my friends i guess but whatever uh but uh yeah i did i thought they were a good i thought they balanced each other out um, which is what Catwoman should have done, 
but did not really. So they did, but they didn't. Do you think it's one of those things where all superhero films, it's like, because they've got the rights to all these characters, they're like, let's try and get as many of them into the film as possible, rather than just having, you know, one of the great advantages of Batman, he's got such a great rogues gallery. And they're always like, when you see this in and this in and this in, you know, that's what killed the Spider-Man franchise the first round, because like, we need to have this character, and you you know, you don't. So he's had one really good villain, and let the other characters grow as they move along. So by the time you get to your third film, you're really invested in what they're doing and, and you know, there's higher stakes available because you know these characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what Reeves was going for was a sense of the, the wider world. Um, and, you know, he even has the joke in there and he justifies that by saying, you know, I want, I want people to know that the Riddler is just one of many. He's hinting at this wider world all the time and Gotham kind of becoming a character in its own right. So I think that's what he was going for. Um, I think that it is part of the appeal of Batman to have all these characters. And yeah, I'd love to see more. I mean, there's just so many great villains, as you say. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely one of the things that was so exciting when we started learning bits about this. When there was mention that the penguin was going to be in it and Catwoman was going to be in it, we're like, really? Yeah, yeah. We haven't oh. seen Penguin for quite a while. He's on baby duty, so baby's just yeah. woken up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we haven't seen him since, uh, what, 92 or 3, Batman Returns. Yeah, uh, uh, except for Gotham, yeah. the TV series. Oh, yep, yep, that's correct. Yeah, I haven't series. finished that yet, so you can't see it again. And that's, this is a very different penguin than that one. So, you know, it's it's kind of nice to see a more realistic, again, humanized villain because it's refreshing. Any thoughts on the Riddler you want to bring in? I mean, I feel like we've kind of touched on all of it, but... I, I, I liked... Very, yeah, I, yeah very, I like Paul Dano. It's very creepy. Yeah. I think he, he could almost have gone too far, the Jesse Eisenberg sort of Lex mm-hmm. Luthor kind of crazy mm-hmm. voice thing yeah. you know and he does do that at times towards the end but um you know i mean he's kind of like a tiktok villain right he's got all these followers yeah. and yeah. he's broadcasting he's yeah. live streaming and he's, and he's yes. gathering them to action and yeah. he's getting yes. and there's a bit of um there's a bit of the kind of the tom hardy uh, Bane as well with kind of the mask so you know it, it there's enough variety there uh, and there's a vulnerability to him, which I really enjoyed. Um, he's not—he's not like Riddler. I mean, someone, someone in the comments, the Riddler in the Arkham games. That guy could do riddles. Yeah, he's—I yeah. love the Riddler when he's like full-blown theatrical, organizing, orchestrating everything, doing these ridiculous games and stuff like that. We didn't see that. Um, maybe he's going to come back. Maybe he's going to be full-blown at some point. That would be fun to see. Yeah, I mean, compare this to Jim Carrey. Yeah, I mean, let's not maybe go full Jim Carrey. Let's go <laughs> right. between Paul Dano and Jim Carrey. Yeah. These are, oh but that's gosh. what's so fun about these adaptations, you know? I mean, like, all of these things fit so well in the world of Batman in my mind, but they are so different. That's what's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see, uh, like, I had this vision of, like, uh, we get a multiverse movie, so, like, every incarnation of Batman and all these heroes, and I would, I need a scene, I need the scene where Jim Carrey's Riddler comes prancing up to Ben Affleck's Batman and like starts monologuing and then Batman just shoots him in the head and walks away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> and then of course, 
the camera pans down and the blood splatter is a question mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, I, I enjoyed this Riddler. Um, uh, I was happy with how intense they made him and how terrifying they made him. Uh, and I thought it was interesting too. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think that there are, um, I think there are, are a lot of shots, camera shots and camera angles where the, the two mirror each other. Because Riddler, Riddler very easily could have been Batman and vice versa, very easily. Um, uh, they both had rough childhoods. Uh, they both went through something traumatic. Um, and now they are both trying to do something for Gotham. Just they're going about it very different ways. And, and I that's think what... That was... Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. No, I was just going to say that's, you know, especially, you know, when they're uh, Riddler's looking through the binoculars in the beginning. And then later on, Bruce Wayne's creeping on Catwoman. And then just some of the some of the you know moments where they're standing in the dark in the shadows and they're just kind of barely lit. Um, they very easily could have been working together, and I think maybe Riddler, without knowing that was Bruce Wayne, you know, maybe he he really did think that Batman was going to join his side. Um, but I, I did, and, and you're right. He he, Riddler very easily could have just gone off the rails, um, and I thought that he was crazy enough and intimidating enough to make him a real threat and i and i did feel threatened by this riddler yeah i was gonna say that i i think that was incredibly purposeful and i was gonna use the example you used about the binoculars and the creeper that i think that was the point right like they were really trying to show this center line and one on uh, really close on either side of it that they really could be almost interchangeable at mm -hmm. points and there were a few moments because this isn't yet a fully formed batman he's just you know that batman that mm -hmm. there were a few points where you wondered if he was going to make the right decision. And mm -hmm. by the end, you're also questioning what the right decision is because everybody you thought yeah. was good was corrupt. And, you know, every review I was reading over the last couple of days too kept referring to the January 6th um, insurgent in the, the Capitol as this being kind of a parallel to mm. that. So I understand that it's very mm. difficult to take what we see on film away from what's happening in real life but you can see all of these things kind of coming to fruition through this, are they good, are they bad? I don't know, take it upon yourselves and let's get an army. I don't know, there was a lot, there was a lot in that that I, I think was very purposeful. We want to show that there isn't necessarily a straight up villain. And that kind of turns superhero movies on their head, right? Like he's not quite a superhero. He doesn't have all the tricks that we're used to. Mm -hmm. And that guy's not really a villain. He just thinks he's doing right, but then he kills people. So yeah, that's not good. But it's, I liked the gray matter. I liked the gray space in all of these characters. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the sequel, maybe all the characters will accomplish what they set out to do because nobody accomplished their goals in this movie. No. Nobody. nobody. No. <laughs> so like ba Batman didn't stop Riddler. Catwoman didn't kill Falcone. And Riddler didn't uh, destroy the city or, you know, the people didn't convert Batman. Nobody accomplished their goals. So maybe this was but just a really long exercise in world building it that could, was I mean, very enjoyable. And, um, we'll yeah. See, yeah, and we'll see what comes to fruition around two. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Batman still rescues some people. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it's a world in which it's not a fairy tale. Nothing's going to work out for everyone. It's messy, right? And Batman is messy. Like he's mm -hmm. helping out, but he's also making some things worse. But in general, he's a good thing but it's kind of you know there's grayness to every everyone uh and you 
but you take some yeah some accomplishments along the way like uh he saves some people's lives and that's that's enough excellent i think we wrap it up there but honestly this feels like scratching the surface so when's the next one come out like i did actually think about we us doing a shot by shot analysis type thing too because i do think there's so many moments of this film that were just stunningly beautiful and you can do this kind of comparative to a film noir and this or to you know what you're saying from comic book to this that there just seems to be a lot of straight influence that you could do some analysis but do we know when the next one comes out? Has it? it it's not started? been announced. It's not even been greenlit. Okay. And and the latest news is that Ben Affleck is not only back in the Flash, um, if that's still being released, um, but also Ben Affleck's going to be in Aquaman too, apparently. Ah. Um, so you know, Ben Affleck was supposed to bow out in the Flash and be replaced by Michael Keaton, just to be even more confusing. Uh, so who knows what Warner Brothers is thinking. If they have any sense, they'll keep going with uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman. I'd be very happy to keep seeing Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton as well. The more Batman, the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. And I do yeah. think it's a character that can work with multiple interpretations. You know, Ben Affleck's Batman is very comic accurate as well, just different comic books to yeah. uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman. Uh, and of course, Michael Keaton's Batman is an important classic as well. Agreed, this lends itself really well to a lot of different interpretations. I was sad to see Batwoman, Batgirl getting nicked. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure we'll see some more things come out. You know, I've, the main thing I keep hearing is about the cost of marketing. It's not worth it. compared. Well, to yeah, and it was and, like tax breaks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It all seems to be financial. And yeah, I don't know, that doesn't quite jive with me either as a fan person. But I guess we'll see as, as time goes out, if we get any of that later in the day. But there's a lot still coming. So we'll see you again soon, I hope, because this was really fun. So thank you guys for joining in, Gabriel. Thank you for nominating this one. Um, anybody who ever wants to nominate a film for us to discuss, please feel free to do so. And also Stephen came to us by me going out to Signum University and saying, who's a Bat fan? Who wants to join this chat? And, and one of our, our colleagues saying, I know somebody. And putting us in touch with Stephen. So, Stephen, thank you for joining our merry crew. Um, thank you. I'll you back sometime. You're fantastic. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, it's nice to sit among fans and talk about uh, one of the best comic book heroes of all time. Well, may it happen again. Get your thinking caps on, and we'll try for another one. But awesome. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Have a lovely rest of your day, and we'll see you for the next Smithgard Movie Club. Thank you so much, everyone. Great to see the comments in the chat yeah, as well. Thank, thank you for your questions and comments. Thanks, then. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. God, I hey. thought that was actually Batman for a second. <laughs> That's yeah, amazing. we're we're recreating the Batmobile crash. Uh, amazing. Aww. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. That's such a good shot. My gosh. Anyways. Aww. Thanks, then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks.